Come with me as we dive into some of the most intimate diaries a person could share. My mission is to inspire you to push through during the toughest of times, too. Thank you for being here. This is Push Diaries Podcast, and I'm your host, Tess. Hi, Paul. Hey, how are you? It's good to see you. I know. I'm doing great. It's good to see and hear you, too. I actually can't see you yet, but... Oh, um, you can't see me. I can't, but if you click the camera button, I, you just got it. There Hello, go. good Sorry to see you. Sorry about that. Good to see you. You know, it's so fun that I keep having guests on here that are from Cannon Falls. It just makes me so happy because, <laughs> honestly, these interviews do the best. I think it's just because we have a good following in good old Cannon Falls. Yeah, we do. Yeah. yeah I, was, I was trying to tell my wife today where you lived when uh, when we were there. Yeah. And, uh I know you and I are neighbors, so it's even right. more yeah. of a small world. And your dad was my eye doctor for all those years. I'm sure with everybody else who knows us is probably like, yep, I know Paul's dad. <laughs> right. Yeah. Yeah. Everyone, see, I think everyone in town knew my dad. Yeah, that's awesome. Okay. So where are you filming from today? Where do you live, Paul? Where you are in the world? Yeah. So well, today I'm in Denver. I'm just on a layover right now. And, uh, but I still live in Minnesota. We live in Egan and, uh, my wife, Erin is there at home taking care of the kids right now. We've got two kids, a six year old son named Anders and a 10 year old girl. She'll be 10 next week, actually. Wow. Uh, named Amelia. So that's so fun. I, those are seriously some of the funnest ages. Linnea, my, my oldest sister, she has a daughter who's 10 and um, I believe Soren is seven and Joe's is six. So that's right around the age I'm familiar with. And they're yeah. just, isn't it so fun to see them explore and learn and figure out what their passions are? It's just really cool. Yeah, it's super fun. Yeah. Well, very cool. Okay, so let's rewind back to Cannon Falls. Paul, why flying? Like, what got you into the pilot dream and and how did you get there just share us share a little bit about that yeah so so i started um so there was an afternoon one specific summer afternoon my dad and i uh, went out to the stanton airport which is like seven miles west of cannon falls and we were just out there watching gliders and skydivers and and there's a little you know swing set there and we'd I'd play on that and and uh so i was 13 years old at the time and we got talking to one of the um, tow plane pilots, who's the, the plane that pulls up the gliders. And I don't remember if it was me or my dad that asked if I could go for a ride. And he's like, yep, yeah, no problem. It's five bucks, like five dollars. <laughs> like, nice. And, you know, that it's like cash in his pocket because he's doing it anyway. Yeah. And it's literally just bonus money for him. So, um yeah, so I went up for a ride. I was 13, got hooked, and then uh, went on a bunch of rides that summer with with that guy. Tom was his name, and uh, and then so then the next summer I started taking flying lessons, and it wasn't just my dad started paying for flying lessons. I mean, it kind of was, but um, <laughs> but I was getting really bad grades at the time, C's and D's, and 
And uh, my dad said, all right, for every A you get, you get an hour of flying. And for every B you get, you get a half hour of flying. And so literally overnight, I went from C's and D's to A's and B's. Wow. And then, uh, um, yeah, so I got my private pilot license when I was in high school. When I turned, I, I got it on my 17th birthday. You have to be 17 to get it. And then, Okay, uh, I was going to ask, yeah, what are the regulations as far as being able to fly? That is so cool that your dad had that creative way of getting through to you and that you had a passion that made you kind of turn a coin and, and start working really hard. I think that's just so neat. And when we talk about education in our country, right, it's like you and I know there's so much more out there that people could explore that they just don't always have the gusto to try. So right. that is so cool that you were hooked. That first time you went up with Tom, was it like a small two-seater airplane? Like, what was it? Yeah, I think theoretically it was there was four seats, but yeah, it was... It was a plane called a Cicada Rally, which I like. I literally I've never seen any except for that one. Oh so it's wow! Not like a super common. I don't think it's a super common airplane you see, but it, it was used for towing gliders and and uh, I remember it had a kind of had a canopy window over your head and oh my we, gosh! You know he would fly it with a canopy back a couple inches for fresh air and and uh, it was really neat. And then yeah, so the so the tow plane pulls the glider up and then the glider actually releases from the tow plane. So they have got a, like literally just a handle that they pull and it releases the rope and then the two planes split off. And uh, so when the, when the tow plane lands, um, uh, generally at Stanton, you would land over the highway and the tow plane rope, I think is, you know, 200 feet long or, Whoa. Maybe it's only a hundred feet long, but oh, it's probably two or maybe two or three hundred feet. I forget, but yeah. Um, but you would have to be careful not to be too low over the road because you're towing a two hundred foot rope, and if there's a car, you know, you could hit Swipe the car up. or whatever. <laughs> oh my god, I didn't realize even Paul that that existed. Like I had no idea that there yeah. were tow planes that hauled gliders smaller up into the air. What's the purpose of that? Like, do you know what what the history of that was or why they, they did that? I don't know when that started. Um, you know, for like hang gliders, they can, because they, they can just run and jump off of a cliff right. or whatever. Um, there are ways to get gliders in the air without um, a tow plane, and they've got some sort of winch system, but that it's like a whole, you know, a 1,500-foot winch system on the ground that pulls the glider until it's up high, then it just releases. That's uh, so cool. Yeah, it's it's pretty neat. I, I've never gotten my glider rating, but you only have to be 14 to get your glider license. So I kind of wish oh. I had done that when I was, you know, involved yeah. in, at the airport. Heck, yeah. Well, and I, I don't know. Have you ever had opportunities now as a pilot, like, to teach kids or do you mostly do commercial flights? Yeah. So, um, so I mean, primarily I'm doing commercial flights. I have my flight instructor rating, so I could theoretically go teach people how to fly. Um, I'm really, I don't really want to go do that. Yeah. <laughs> um, you're good for now doing what right, you're doing. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I I'm keeping my flight instructor rating current. Mostly like if my kids wanted to fly, I think it would be, fun to teach them but um yeah i uh, I, I enjoy you know 
there is a family this summer, this past summer I gave a ride to and, uh, their dad, her, the kid's dad is really sick. And, um, so I got to give them a ride and, uh, that was That's really huge. Fun. So yeah, yeah. I like doing cool. stuff like that. Yeah. Very, very cool. Okay. So is there anything significant you want to share about Tom, like his attitude, um, in teaching you how to fly or his passion to fly? I mean, first of all, how cool that he's just like, yeah, give me five bucks and I'll take you up. <laughs> Because I'm sure there's not a ton of people that would do that today. Um, right. I live by the Brighton Airport here in Michigan. And we we would go over, over there every now and again with my fiance because his, his uncle and his grandpa are both flyers. And so they would do fly-ins at the Brighton Airport. And it was really cool because they would have like old car show days where they would line up all these different planes and all these different cars. And I went with Tyler last summer. And I don't know what the plane is called, but it's like a glass globe. And then it's just a bunch of metal. It's like a metal helicopter. It's just really cool, huh. but kind yeah. of terrifying. Right. Yeah. Um, it was That's so awesome. fun, though. Like, Paul, it's just so cool that you spend your days flying in the sky because <laughs> most people are used to being down on the ground. Right. And <laughs> I know that this job has taken you all over the world. And I want to hear, too, about. You're starting a YouTube channel. You've started a page for pilots. Talk a little bit about that. And then I want to know places you've been in the world, how you got involved with that orphanage, if you're involved in any ministries. So if you would just be so kind as to share kind of how your piloting took off and places you've been. I mean, just start telling me and I'll kind of help (laughs) guide the conversation because this is just so cool. Yeah. So, um, that guy, Tom, you know, he, he really didn't go out of his way necessarily, other than he was willing to give me an airplane ride every time I went out there. Um, but it kind of shows that, you know, kind of the impact you can have on, especially someone young, um, just by welcoming, welcoming them into your world, you know? Yeah. Um, So. I, I don't keep in touch super close with Tommy other than on Facebook and stuff, but, um, but yeah, it's, uh, I, I still don't think he's realized the impact that he's had on my career, you know, cause literally I could have gone home that day and been like, Oh, that was a fun afternoon at the airport. And then gone on to do something else. And, you know, yeah, <laughs> yeah it or, Entering in numbers somewhere. I mean, hey, right. there's something for everybody, but how cool, yeah, that that really he changed your childhood and your dad too. Like just oh, yeah. again, finding that passion. That's just so cool. So very yeah. neat. Yeah. Yeah. So so I've worked for the airlines for almost twenty years now, which is <laughs> makes me feel so cool. old. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I bet, I mean, but Whatever, Paul, you're still young. You're still a young guy who's got these kids growing up, a great wife, a great job. I mean, there's nothing stopping you now. Yeah, my airline career is almost old enough to drink now. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, that's great. Yeah, yeah, so I started flying a 757 and 767 about 11 years ago, and that's when I started going to Europe mostly, and that's really, it really kind of changed my perspective on the career, and you know, made the world a bunch small or a lot smaller than it was or smaller than I thought it was. Yeah. <laughs> you know, um, so I started seeing 
pilots and flight attendants who were going to all these cool places like Rome and Lisbon and Milan and Venice and literally just staying in their room for the whole layover. <laughs> yeah, what <laughs> the know? heck? And I'm like, man, there's so much to see over here. Why why are people not doing it? So um, that was kind of what inspired the YouTube channel. Um, so cool. Okay, but how long do you get on a layover? Like when you say, what the heck, why aren't they doing more with their time? I'm sure sometimes it's only like, what, six hours? Or, or do you always get a couple days? In, in Europe, it's generally a minimum of 24 hours. Like the standard layover would be 24 hours. Right. Um, you but, don't need to sleep a whole 24 hours. No, but there is a lot of sleeping involved because mostly people, as soon as they get to the hotel, because we're getting to the hotel at, you know, 9 a.m., 10 a.m., 11 a.m. sometimes. So, and you've been up all night. And, you know, like, so for me, I'm based in New York, so I commute from Minneapolis. So I wake up at 6 a.m., fly to New York, take a nap, fly to Europe. So now, by the time I'm getting to Europe, You're I've been exhausted. awake. I'm already yeah. been awake for 20 hours. Yeah. Yeah. Oh my gosh. <laughs> um, so that's when, you know, it, it does get easy to just, okay, I'm going to take a four hour nap. I'm going to go out to eat and then come back and go to sleep. Um, and so during that first nap period is kind of when I go out and see the world. Excuse me. Um, so, you know, you end up being pretty fatigued, but you get to see some cool spots. Um, oh yeah. One of the one of the more extreme things I've done, as far as not extreme, like you know, swimming with sharks or whatever, which I've I've done that on a layover too. See, but, that's so cool, um, <laughs> Paul. Um, but you know, it's more like the time commitment to get somewhere. So I got to Zurich once and wanted to go. <laughs> it, a lot of the stuff I do is based on, I see one picture on Instagram and I'm like, oh, I need to go there. Yeah, you do. So Absolutely. I, saw, I, I know. This. Can you imagine when we were kids? Like, yeah, you wouldn't see all these adventures people would go on. I mean, yeah, there were books, right? And there were photographs and National Geographic. But like, we live in such a crazy time now where your YouTube channel and stuff, like, Paul, you could find a 13-year-old kid on YouTube that finds you too and sees your journeys and then wants to be a pilot like this is really right. cool stuff yeah yeah it's fun um that one you know the thing that involves the most not boldness but the most endurance <laughs> is yeah. the long like long train rides like in zurich i went you know i went to this place called grindelwald which involved three trains and it was about a three-hour, maybe a three-and-a-half-hour journey just to get to this one mountaintop thing and look out over the edge of this cliff. And, like, like that's literally the only reason I went. So six-plus six hours of train travel to spend an hour at the top of a mountain. But, you know, it was cool. And Yeah, what was the train, line, train ride like? Were, did you sleep, or, or was it just gorgeous to go up into the mountains and watch that? Um, I didn't sleep. I wanted to sleep. If it, if it had been one three-hour train ride, I would have slept for sure. Yeah. But it was three train rides that were, you know, 45 minutes and then a 15-minute stop and then a different train that was 50 minutes. 
So, like, so you, you never, couldn't sleep. Yeah, you didn't want to miss your stop. There was never enough time to get into a good sleep. So, um, yeah, that that was one of the crazier ones. Uh, in Venice, once I took again, you know, two trains and a bus um, to Positano, which is on the Amalfi Coast, and and uh, ended up um, we ended up renting a boat, like a, a Zodiac, like a you know rigid inflatable boat. Oh and, my gosh. Like, just me and one other pilot and we were just cruising down the Amalfi coast and you know, days like that, like it doesn't even seem real, you know? No, <laughs> like, yes. Like you leave, yeah, you leave Egan, Minnesota and you end up in, <laughs> on a blow up boat in the middle of the, you know, whatever countryside. It's like, holy crap, this is yeah. what a life though, Paul. How cool is that? That even your kids growing up are going to see like, Hey, I can go anywhere. And like you said, the comment about the world being so much smaller than you realize, I'm thinking like, gosh, is like NASA in your future? Like where, what's next for no. you? <laughs> I am, no. I am not that smart. <laughs> <laughs> oh, stop it. Um, well, yeah. Tell me more about more journeys. Where else have you been that you're, that you just, it doesn't feel real. I mean, the swimming with sharks thing, that sounds amazing. That was pretty neat. Um, that was in, uh, on the North shore of Oahu. And, uh, yeah, so I wanted to, I saw it again, I saw it on Instagram or something. Yeah. You're like, add it to the list. Yeah. Maybe, I don't, I don't remember where I saw it exactly, but I was like, oh, there's tours where you just go swim in the ocean with sharks and like, they're there every day. And so we were there on vacation in February or whatever, and I had it scheduled to, to do it when we were there on vacation. <clears throat> and then um, it canceled due to high seas or something. And so then I had another Honolulu layover like a couple months later, and I scheduled it again. And again, it got canceled. And I was getting really, really frustrated. Um, so... And then another layover came up and that was like a last minute, like I traded trips at the, like the day before I was going to leave. So on Tuesday, I found out <clears throat> that on Wednesday I was going to go to Honolulu. And I was like, oh, I wonder if I can get on a tour. So I booked it and, and the conditions were similar. <laughs> ah, crap. In, in that, like the winds were the same, the seas were high. I was like, this is for sure going to cancel. Like, yeah. This is exactly what it was before, and it canceled. And for some reason, it didn't. And so, <laughs> so yeah. I get, so I drive up to the North Shore at like you know six in the morning, which is just a, you know, it's one thing to be in Minnesota and say, yeah, I'm gonna, I'm going swimming with sharks tomorrow. And then when you're driving to the, you know, the harbor, yeah. It's like, your mouth gets kind of dry. Yeah. Like, like what did oh, I wow, sign this up is for? Like, we're actually, we're actually doing this. And so then the boat ride out to the, so the deal up there in, in Halieva is that there's moorings out in the sea and, and it's like 500 feet of water, but the moorings have been there for, you know, 40 years. So there's barnacles and all sorts of stuff that attract the fish and that attracts the sharks. So the sharks are there all the time. So what are um, these moorings? These are like structures in the water, big poles, or tell me what that looks like. Yeah, so mooring is just a, like a chain, like um, like that a boat would tie up to um, okay. offshore. 
Um, so it's just literally a chain attached to the bottom of the ocean with like a big round floating buoy at the top. Sure, but it brings um, in wildlife to kind of yeah, hang out there. Yep, yep. So, um, so the sharks are there all the time. It's not a question of if you're going to see sharks. Like it's a question of is it going to be tiger sharks or oh, you know? Oh God! Like, like okay, so how sharks. deep is the water? How big is the boat you're on going out there? How many people were with you? Yeah, so there's there were six people total plus the captain and the dive master or whatever. Um, yeah, the boat was not huge. I mean, big enough to go in the ocean, but um, the water is 500 feet deep, <laughs> which that's you know, deep. Anything past 100, you know, really anything past 30 doesn't really matter how deep it is anymore. Yeah, like, yeah, you, you can't see the, the bottom. Same. And... Yeah, it's still like, <laughs> whoa, how how deep is it here? Okay, so then. Were you scuba diving or were you snorkeling or nope. just di- just straight diving or what? Just uh, so snorkeling. Um, and then you're allowed to dive down. And it, it was really crazy that you could really do whatever you want. And the, the safety divers are incredible. I mean, they if they see a shark coming towards you, which is an experience. like Oh, God. Yeah, I want to hear all about that. So um, it's one thing when you get in the water. And the sharks are below you. They're swimming below you because it feels like you're on top. I mean, you know, they're sharks, but it feels like you're you got an advantage kind of. Right. You don't. (laughs) But it feels like that. And then they swim like up towards you. They like they swim straight up. Oh, God. And they like they come like right towards you. And that is something that's pretty surreal and a little bit scary. Yeah. Uh, you're like, it, how did I get here again, and why am I staring a shark in the face? Right, yeah. And then, so that's scary. And then if they're on the surface with you, like with their fin out of the water, like in Jaws, that's also scary. Because now they're next to you, and you see how big they are. And and uh, So uh, I imagine, Paul, they're curious about you because they don't know you. And maybe some of them, do some of them recognize the master divers? They might. Um, yeah, I don't know about yeah, that. Yeah, like, were they ask. playful? Did they want to touch you and let you pet them? Like, what was that like? It, I I, I kind of questioned the guys, like, can you touch them if they get close enough? And he's like, yeah, you can, but I don't know that I would have. <laughs> and none of them were ever close enough to touch. They were okay. close, but not, not that close. Um, so, well... One funny thing that happened on that trip is, you know, you, you go out to the mooring, you get tied up, the boat gets tied up to the mooring, and then they brief you on what how you're going to enter the water. And they, one of the things they say is just be very careful not to, you know, flail around or splash or, you know, because you don't, don't want to attract. Yeah, don't make a scene. Don't flap around like yeah. a seal in distress. Right. Yeah. So, you know, you're an apex predator just like they are, and you need to, like, stare them in the eyes and all that kind of stuff. So I get in the water, and I put my head down, and, and you know, there's sharks everywhere. I mean, not everywhere, but there's probably 15 sharks in the water. And, and I go to breathe in, and my snorkel just, like, I can't, I don't know what was causing the problem but like I literally couldn't breathe so now I'm like up and I 
trying to like you know stay by the boat so now I'm starting to flail a little bit oh my gosh (laughs) and you're like this is the end right knowing that there's you know 15 charts below me and and I so I'm telling like the dive or the captain of the boat or whatever I said hey my snorkel's not working can you get a new one so okay yeah so he switches it out gets me a new one now the mask is like loose and it's coming off there's water in my eyes and so again now I can't you know see <laughs> oh my gosh swallowing salt water yeah and <laughs> so anyway finally he gets you know the old mask with the new snorkel and um and then i i start you know swimming with the sharks and so i'm in the water for probably i don't know 40 minutes or 45 minutes which towards the end of that time it starts to feel like i'm good you know yeah <laughs> i can i can say i've done it Let's go. This has been long enough. I made it without (laughs) being a lunch today, so this is good. Wow, though, that's so cool. Yeah. So as I was swimming back to the boat, (laughs) I'm like, you know, my stomach does not feel awesome. (laughs) So I get to I get to the stair or the ladder at the back of the boat, and I'm taking my flippers off and I'm handing them up to the guy, and my vision is just like closing in. I'm like, oh, I don't, this is not, I don't feel great. <laughs> so I I barely get into the boat. Like I've got one leg over the, the hump, like from the platform into the boat. And then I just like start puking incessantly oh, into the no. ocean. And there's, so there's still people in the water. And now I'm like. Projectile the water with my <laughs> breakfast. <laughs> oh my gosh, what an experience! And then it's like you know, there's there's already like two people back in the boat, so like <laughs> you finish puking your guts out, and then like turn around and like, so wh- where are you guys from again? <laughs> you yeah, know, like, yeah. How was the experience for you? Yeah. Right. Oh my gosh, Paul. So you got seasick just being in the sea, or do you think well, that was from your boat ride out? No, I think it was from all the water I swallowed. I because I oh. during the whole snorkel problem and the mask problem, and then just you know diving down to get closer to the sharks, and I think I swallowed more a salt water than salt my body water. could handle. Yeah. Oh no! Well, what a cool experience. So, does does your wife like to do this stuff with you? I mean, I know she's home with the kiddos, <laughs> but like, is she excited about travel and kind of putting herself in new situations she loves to travel um she that's a little point of contention for us sometimes that (laughs) I'm always kind of pushing the limits on what I want to do (laughs) yeah and she's worried that you know her kids are going to lose their dad someday yeah (laughs) yeah oh my gosh well how cool though I feel like once your kiddos get a little bit older your family is in for a big treat with some more exploration I hope so. We have a goal to bring our kids to every continent by the time they graduate high school. Um, wow. Which is, it doesn't really sound like when you can fly for free. Yeah. It doesn't, Why wouldn't you? Right. It doesn't sound like that lofty of a goal, but Amelia's going to be 10 next week and she's only been to America. <laughs> right. <laughs> so, there you go. So, that is so cool, Paul. And again, when we talk about your passions as an adult and how they grow and change from the time you're a kid. 
they their scope of possibilities and opportunity is going to be so much bigger if you guys I mean even if you don't meet that goal and you take them to most of them like right. that is that is really truly a gift I mean yeah. so what what other cool places do you want to talk about what other places felt like you were in a dream or in a movie and not in the real world that was just like incredible where where should I go where should the listeners go you know Lisbon is probably one of my favorite places in the world and not only is it beautiful you know there's beautiful beaches and um great food and all that stuff the people there are incredible you, you feel like you know I've, I've been there um I don't know how many times but over 50 for sure um and so now I've got friends there and so I show up and you know they bring me to the beach or we go surfing or 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 just go out to eat or whatever and cool. but you know it's it's kind of a a hidden gem in the terms of travel like it's super affordable once you're there like food is cheap and um tours are inexpensive and even Ubers are super cheap and yeah so you um, could go there and not rent a vehicle and just uber and be in lisbon that's what you're saying like everything's pretty central but there's a lot to do and yep yeah absolutely and i would say most of europe you don't need a rental car right you can you can take trains everywhere or buses or, or yeah. buses and <clears throat> yeah yeah um, yeah, that's the only place I've been overseas is I went to Milan, Italy with my humanities class. So like um, <laughs> Mr. Weber went with me, Mr. Fogarty, I'm pretty sure he was with. And then, um, yeah, it was it was so cool. We yeah. the only place we didn't get to go was Venice. We were going to take a bus up there one day. And I think just we had only three days left and we decided it's maybe not worth it. And yeah. It's a bummer. I definitely want to get back up there, but you're right. Train, bus. I mean, you can go to Belgium. You can go to Germany. You can, you know, it's just, yeah. there's so much to do and so much to see. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's really incredible that, you know, I, I can't think of, I've only rented a car maybe twice in Europe and it was, you know, one of those things where it's like the bus schedule wasn't, you know, when you're only there for, when you only have nine hours you can't spend five hours on a bus, you know? Yeah, no, <laughs> so. I know. I was going to say, how often does it happen where it's like, you don't have enough time or they delay a bus ride or a train ride. And you're like, Oh crap, I got to go fly a plane in three yeah. hours. I have worried about that taking, especially in Italy. You don't, you don't want to be on the last train because oftentimes they don't go. And um, I've been almost stuck in, uh oh in Positano when I was there and we were going back to uh Naples um we had found a ticket on a ferry that goes right from the beach straight back to Naples and that was going to be perfect and then we showed up for the ferry and it had canceled and we didn't know that <clears throat> so now it's like seven o'clock at night and we're racing back to get back to the train station to get the last train so I mean fortunately we you know, we could have taken a $300 taxi if we really had to get back, but yeah, try to avoid that kind of stuff. Right. No <laughs> kidding. Just dropping $300. So you're, 
co-pilots, do they, do you guys usually explore together? Um, do you fly with the same guys or gals? Like, what does that look like? And, and who do you fly for right now, Paul? Yeah. So I work for United. Um, I got hired by Continental in 2006 and, uh, and then, uh, Continental and United merged, um, I don't know, 2010, 2011. And, um, yeah, so if I know I'm going to go do something cool, I'll open it up to the whole crew. Um, In Europe, the flight attendants are with us too. So um, I'll just say, hey, anyone that wants to go, you know, this is what I'm doing. Um, I I try not to let – if I have something in in mind that I want to go do, it's easy to get – oh, well, six of us are going to go do this one thing in town here. And, and I, and I've done that before where it's like, okay, yeah, yeah, that sounds good. And I want to hang out. I want to be with people. That's part of my DNA is just hanging out with people. Heck yeah. So, but I've often found myself a little disappointed that I didn't go do the thing that I wanted to go do. So usually I'll just say, this is what I'm doing. If you guys want to join me, you can, but we can't take a nap. We can't, you know. Yeah, like we'll you gotta food, be but, here. Yeah. Yeah, but so, um, and generally, one or two people will want to join me, That's um, cool. which makes the day go a lot quicker, and yeah. it, it's more enjoyable when you're with someone. Yeah, absolutely. Well, very cool. Okay, so you, so talk a little bit about for those for people listening. Let's say there's like a college student listening, and they're like. I really don't want to do this anymore. Never mind. I don't want to study this. How, what is the schooling like to become a pilot, Paul? And what would you recommend? Give some pointers and some tips about that because I think it's cool. Yeah. Yeah. So you don't need a degree in aviation if you want to be an airline pilot. Um, you do need a four-year degree. That's kind of a requirement of all airlines, um, at least all major airlines. And um, so really, you just need to go to the airport and start flying <laughs> and, really? you know, immersing yourself in airport culture is really what you need to do, because that's where you're going to learn, you know, there's there's no one one stop, you know, learn everything about aviation overnight. Um, so yeah. if you can get a job at the local airport on the weekends, pumping gas or because you know, that's when you start meeting other people and other pilots sure. and, and um, just immersing yourself in the culture. Even if you ha- already have a job doing something else, um, just surrounding yourself with aviation is kind of the best way to get into it. Yeah. Um, um, there are, you know, fast track program programs where you can, if you're say you're in high school or just started college, um, there's fast track programs to get all your ratings quickly and, um, and some of those programs have uh, like connection deals with airlines. Um, and that's certainly worth looking into also. So yeah, almost like an internship or something. It sounds like that or job. Kind shadow. Of, yeah. 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 Very cool. Well, I will say ever since I've been in a chair and I operate my vehicle with my hands, right. I think it would be so fun to like, yeah, go to the airport, especially because Marvin and Lloyd, Tyler's family, have connections there and just have some of those conversations. I think it could be really cool. Yeah, yeah. So well, next um, time you're in Minnesota, please uh, let me know and maybe I'll uh, I'll take you up. We have access to an airplane out in uh, 
east of St. Paul. So. Oh, that would be so cool. I will definitely keep in touch with you because yeah. I that is that is 100% a dream of mine now, especially you know, kind of marrying into a air airplane family. It's just cool because it's not something that I was familiar with at all, or maybe I wasn't even totally interested when I was a kid. I don't know if you know John Top, but he would fly sometimes, and my parents were friends with the Tops. Yeah. So, um, I remember going up with him when I was I was young though. I had to have been like eight or nine, and I remember being terrified. <laughs> I was like, "This is crazy!" You know, the wind blows and you feel the plane move, and yeah, I don't know. I think it's something I would be much more interested now as a grown woman, but yeah. Um, yeah. How did you feel flying? Like, have you ever been afraid? I mean, I'm sure. Tell me a little bit about any times you've been scared when you've been yeah. up, in, up in the it's air. It's funny you say that because I'm actually right after this, I'm going to record a YouTube video on um, dealing with people who are nervous, nervous flyers. Um, I, it's not very often that I've been afraid. I've never been afraid in like an airline environment. That's it's, there's, so many redundancies and safety protocols that there's just no no real room for screwing something up. <laughs> Good. Um, well, in a bigger plane, do you feel safer too when it's so much heavier and? Not real. I mean, um, you know, there's having more than one engine is certainly adds a level of safety, but um, smaller planes are certainly safe too. Um, but when you're you know, a 20 year old kid and you're free to do whatever you want with an airplane. Um, there's been a couple times and I, Oh <laughs> my gosh. What do you mean? Like the first time you tried a, a spiral spin or like what, what did you do? Yeah. Um, so this is a funny story. <laughs> this is when, you know how people say their life flashes before their eyes. Yes. This was one of those <laughs> like oh, legit, no. I legit had flashes of my brothers and I sitting around the Christmas tree as kids with our dog and, and the whole deal. So my friend and I had um, gone up in the small airplane and we wanted to do a barrel roll, which is totally against the rules. I'm hoping this was, you know, 20, 20 years ago, so 20 yeah, plus years ago. Yeah, it's too late to hold you accountable for anyone listening. Too late for me to get into trouble, I think. That's right. So we were going to do this barrel roll, which was stupid, really stupid. Like, Is a barrel roll when you spin the plane parallel with the ground, or is it when you're going down and you're spinning? Yeah, so, you know, if, if, it, if it was a fighter jet, you would just go around like that. In a small airplane, you have to build up a bunch of speed and then pull back and then do a roll. Um, but the airplane we were flying was not designed for barrel rolls. We didn't have parachutes on, which is a requirement when you're doing aerobatics. <laughs> oh, my God. And and myself and my friend had no training, like literally no, no training. Like we were just doing it based on what we you're, read. You know? Yeah, you're comfortable flying a plane straight, but you've never spun it. Right, yeah. So, oh, my God. So we're going to do this barrel roll, and so we start it, and we push the nose down to build up speed, but we don't get, build up nearly enough speed. I mean, from what I know now, like I've done a barrel roll with an aerobatics pilot, and I'm like, oh, yeah, I didn't do that at all, right? Oh, oh my gosh. <laughs> so we push the nose down, 
build up not enough speed, pull it back and start to go upside down. Well, now we're upside down and we're scared because we've never been upside down before and we don't know what to do. <laughs> so the airspeed is starting to build up because now we're kind of going down. And normally when the wings are level and you're facing we're upright, up, if you're going too fast, you just pull back. But if you're upside down and you pull back, you go to the earth faster. Okay. <laughs> oh my God. So we, um, and what we did is called a split S, which is not, <laughs> not what we intended, but we literally went upside down, pulled out the other way. Whoa. And we pulled out less than a thousand feet above the ground, which is way too close. But oh. at the time we were trying to pull back fast enough that we wouldn't hit the earth. Right. But, but slow enough that the tail wouldn't just fall off. Wow. So we we got out of that, and I, I was like, dude, we can't. That was stupid. We need to just be done. <laughs> so right. we go back, land at the airport, and I was like, we, I feel like we should tell somebody, but I don't really want to admit to doing something that stupid. So we uh, we didn't tell anyone, and it was really weighing heavily on my conscience because I was like, some student pilot's going to take that plane up and then the tail is just going to fall off and he's going to crash. And, you know, like it's yeah. not going to be his fault at all. Like you so, were worried the plane needed maintenance because of what you did. Right. Oh, man. So um, that night, a tornado, <laughs> this is like, it couldn't have been more perfect. A tornado, a tornado went through the airport and destroyed the airplane. What? <laughs> it's like the hand of God was like, you yeah, know what? I'm just going to just... help you out here. <laughs> yeah. I'm just going to take care of this problem for you, Paul. God bless you. Right. Yeah. Wow. So, That's crazy. That was, that was the dumbest thing I've ever done. And Well, I'll tell you, that plane had quite a 48 hours of its last life. Right. <laughs> you took it for its joyride. That's right. <laughs> wow. Well, I'm glad that you also didn't nosedive into the earth. That sounds terrifying. Now, yeah. were you both flying? Like, were you both controlling the plane together or was it just one of you? It was just one of us. The other one was there to just, you know, for moral support. <laughs> which... Yeah. yeah. <laughs> oh, my gosh, Paul. Okay. Culture shock. Where have you been that you were like, this is insane, the food's insane, the people are insane, I mean, but all good, but just yeah. totally different than the way that we live in America? Where where was that for you? Yeah, you know, Europe is very much Americanized. You know, everyone speaks English for the most part. You can get food that you like pretty much anywhere, and it's easy to get around, and um and I don't think I'm saying that because I've been there so much. I think it, it's legit. Yeah, it's you comfortable. Know. You can get from A to B pretty well on your own, even if you can't speak Italian. Right. Yep. Um, and this might lead into the Russia conversation, but Russia is a whole other level of, you know, it's just a different culture altogether. And, um, the, you know, there's a intense lack of 
safety culture, you know, like, <laughs> um, I don't know, it's, it's hard to describe, but the, you know, the food is never really what you expect and it's good. It's great food. Um, there's a lot of meat and potatoes and, um, but Tyler would love Russia then because he's yeah. a meat and potatoes guy. That's like all he eats, Paul, is like right. white carbs and starches <laughs> and meat. Yeah, that's awesome. Um, yeah, so I love going to Russia because we get to go to the orphanage and hang out with the kids. Um, but yes. it is definitely culture shock. Okay, so tell us about how did you get involved with this orphanage? Tell me about your faith a little bit, how that's guided you, if it has. And yeah, and you keep, you're going to go back and see these kiddos. You've made a relationship with them that is so cool. Can you yeah. share a little bit about that? Yeah, so our church is involved with an organization called Change 30. Um, and so the short story is the average age of a Russian orphan is 30 years old. And that's because they get, you know, they leave the orphanage when they're 17. And then they are just kind of on their own and out on the streets. And they're given a bunch of money from the government. And basically... Um, they generally blow through it within six months and then, you know, it turns into sex trafficking and prostitution and gangs and drugs and, and all that stuff. And then, you know, by the time they're 30, they're, they're usually dead. Um, oh, that's so sad. Literally one out of 10 kids will have a, um, quote unquote successful life. Wow. Um, that is so, so sad. Yeah, so so Change Thirty has a dream center in um, in Kaliningrad, which is the uh, city we go to, um, and it's a spot where kids can go after they leave the orphanage, and they have a lawyer there that can help them navigate the paperwork issues that they run into. Um, they've got classes for young moms. They've got you know just all sorts of stuff for. Education. A, it's a, a resource in education. You know, they help kids learn how to balance a checkbook and wow. uh, just do all that kind of stuff. So we go to the orphanage and we're at, and we're at the orphanage for most of the week when we're there. Um, and we're playing games with the kids and we do sports and crafts and we go on a field trip and we go to the beach and 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 it's incredible that the day you get there. If you've been more than once, I've been five times. And if you've been more than once, not even if you've been more than once, if you've been more than one day, when you come back on the second day and those kids come running out of the orphanage and run into your arms and say your name, especially when it's been a year or two years since you've seen them. And it's like, it's one of the best experiences of my life, you know, yeah. swimming with yeah. sharks, going on to Amalfi Coast. It doesn't compare at all to spending human, kids. human yeah. connection absolutely and again them seeing the type of man you are and your church group is again probably leaves such a lasting impression on them and you being able to go back and see them year after year that has got to be so fulfilling and so cool yeah how many kids are we talking are at this orphanage so it really depends on the summertime it it really varies a lot um but anywhere between 50 to 150 kids are in the orphanage at any one time. Um, some of them go in and out with, um, <clears throat> they're kind of working on a new foster care type system in Russia. Um, 
so some kids are involved in that. Um, and then, you know, the older boys will sometimes go to this camp in Belarus and um, they'll, it's a way to like earn money basically. Um, so it really depends how many, you know, when we're there, like uh, how many kids will be there. But um, yeah, we've formed some pretty deep relationships. Aaron, there's this one girl over there um, that my wife talks to literally almost every day. Like they text Aww. back and forth and, and uh, it's, it's hard cause you, there's only so much you can do when you're yeah 5,000 miles away. But, um, but yeah, it's a great, I love going over there. Yeah. Okay. So what have these kids taught you about resiliency? Yeah, that's the thing. They're, uh, um, it's crazy how tough these kids are. You know, it's, it's basically prison rules at the orphanage and it's kind of every kid for himself. And, um, but the amount of love that they can show, you know, is, it's amazing. Yeah. Um, yeah. Can you share a story about one of the kids, like where they came from, what they've been through and what they've taught you? Sure. Um, so <laughs> I'm going to try not to cry. Hey, you're, you're allowed to cry on this podcast, Paul. In <laughs> okay. fact, it would probably be a good thing. Right. <laughs> so this one girl, Nastia, who, uh, um, we learned her story. I, I'd been there a couple times, like a couple years in a row before she was there. So she got there when she was maybe 13 or 14. And, um, she had been, if I remember right, her parents dropped her off and her brother off at the orphanage when they were five or she was five. Her brother was significantly younger, probably one or maybe under one. So they dropped them off at the orphanage. So, you know, already she's abandoned. But at five years of age. Yeah. But old enough to like realize you're being abandoned. Right, right. <clears throat> so then so then she's in the orphanage for five years. <clears throat> Do you and know then, why? Why her parents dropped them off? Like they didn't have um, money? With her specifically, I don't know. Most of the orphans in Russia are social orphans. So generally the dad is not around or there's multiple dads or they don't know who the dad is. And the mom is an alcoholic. That's generally that's the. And then, then there's no money too. Right, right. Um, so that's the 95% of the orphans. That's what the story is. <clears throat> um, so yeah, so she had been dropped off at the orphanage at five with her brother. And then when she was 10, a couple came in and they wanted to adopt her brother, <clears throat> but not her. Oh my so gosh. The orphanage said, no, you can't adopt. They have to stay together. Okay. So there's already a little, another rejection, <laughs> you know? Yeah. So then she, so then this couple says, okay, well, we'll take her too. So then they take both of them. And if you can imagine, like, <clears throat> she wasn't really wanted by the couple in the first place, but now she's living with them, which I don't know what that was like, but I can't imagine it was easy. No. So two years later, so she lived with them for a couple of years and then, and then she was dropped off at the orphanage again without her brother. 
So oh, now she's on her. Now she's 13 or 14, and that's I think when she started at the orphanage that we go to. So she was, you know, now she's in her. She's a teenager, being rejected for the umpteenth time, and <clears throat> you could see it. She was different from the other kids. That she was just broken. She wouldn't talk to anyone. She never smiled. Um, <laughs> yeah, it's it's really hard. Yeah. Um, and there was a point at the end of, um, I forget what year it was, but the first year that we saw her, um, and you would, you know, I, my wife and I would try to just, hey, do you want to go play volleyball or you want to go play cards or like try really hard to. Um, pull her out of her shell a little pull bit. Pull out of her shell. And the last day, which is the hardest day ever, like the best day ever is the first day because everyone's excited. Yeah. And the last the last day sucks because it's like it's like ripping off a bandaid, you know, like Oh you just, yeah. It's you like to, you Yeah, you you thank God for every moment you have there, I'm sure, but then when you're leaving it's like, oh, it just feels like every you're losing everything all again. Yeah. Yeah, it's um it's tough. And you know, the purpose of the trip is to build relationships and get the kids pointed towards the dream center. So when, so they can have a real life, you know, like a, that's the purpose of the trip is like, yeah, we have a fun week with the kids, but in the end, you know, they need a resource in Russia that they can go to. Um, And if we are encouraging of them to go there, you know, after they've known us for six years, they're more more likely. Sure. Um, anyway, so the last day, this girl, Nastia, and my wife and I were just sitting on the front steps of the orphanage. And, you know, we we had said, hey, do you want to go? The last day is kind of a free day. So everyone's throwing the Frisbee around and giving hugs and just doing whatever they want to do. Um, so we said, hey, you want to throw a Frisbee? Do you want to, you know, go play cards? Do you want to go for a walk or whatever? No. And And finally, it was like, is it okay if we just sit here with you? And yep. And we literally sat there. Um, we have interpreters with us. And for a while we had an interpreter, but it was kind of clear that she just wanted us to sit with her. And so we literally sat with her for 30 minutes on the front steps. And um, the cool story about that is the next year. Um, so my wife and I are both training in jujitsu. And um, Sweet. so the next year we got to teach a, there's a wrestling gym across the street from the orphanage. We got to teach a self-defense class to some of the kids. Awesome. Awesome. And this girl, Nastia, came in to join us on the self-defense class. And it turns out, like, (laughs) sorry. No, it's okay. Um, So it turns out, like, she'd been training MMA stuff for at least a year and um, so like not just jujitsu but like the boxing and uh, kicking part of it too Um, and so like after the self-defense class she's like pulling us aside and like wants to show us stuff so now it's like we have this bond of like oh like you know how to do an arm bar and you know how to do a choke and, you know, yeah, you, you, you know, know how, how to, to beat the crap stuff. out of me. <laughs> right. Yeah. Um, and that was a really cool moment. Um, yeah. Especially 
it was neat because like my introduction to jujitsu was in Russia on the beach. Um, a friend of mine, my first year there did it and he kind of gave me a intro lesson and, um, and then Aaron got into it and, and, uh, and Aaron wasn't totally into it from the get go, but she's like, you know, maybe if just connecting with this girl for 30 minutes, one afternoon in Russia. If that's the reason I've been doing jujitsu for two years. Wow. Maybe that's it. You know, yeah. and that's it's great. like, yeah, God used you guys without you even knowing really what would come to fruition from it. Right. And then look at this connection that is undeniable. That's just incredible. So what yeah. happened after she showed you some of the moves she knew? She yeah. So just... then she, she really started to open up after that. She, you know, we were now like, in her group of people that she trusts, which is a pretty small group, I think. Yeah. Uh, so it's been good. And, and what's frustrating, you know, what was frustrating about last year is that we weren't able to go. And, um, and now she's old enough that she's probably out of the orphanage. So that's the hard part. It's like, you don't know when you're going to see these kids. And, yeah. Um, so she has a cell phone and she still keeps in touch with you guys. Um, that is a different uh, there's, yeah, there's two nastias. The one there's a different, yeah. yeah. So yeah, Paul, what do you do as far as keeping connection with these kids? How, how does your church, is there a way for them to connect with you guys or, or is it kind of like you won't see them until they pop up on your. Yeah. So we, um, so ideally we'll see them again this year. <laughs> Hopefully we'll get to go. Yeah. Uh, but, um, we keep in touch. Uh, there's an app called VK, which is kind of like Facebook for Russia. Um, and then most of the kids are on Instagram, so um, we can communicate that way. Yeah, that's good. So, wow. but it's it's hit or miss when you communicate with them. It's right. You know, they it's get hard with the, yeah. The time change is hard, and yeah. Um, wow. Well, that is just really cool that you guys were able to connect with her in that way. It that had to have been such a big deal for her too. Like you said, her community is probably pretty small. So yeah. I'm thankful that you guys were able to be there for her in that way. That's yeah. just really, really neat. Yeah. So because of COVID, you guys weren't able to go. So we didn't go last year um, in 2020. And uh, I don't know if we'll get to go this year. I Aaron, Aaron's goal is to go twice, either once with our church and once on our own or or, or whatever. Um, some friends of ours are supposed to be moving over there, um, like to work with like full time with the uh, kids and stuff. So, um, you know, if we could go over there and see them as part of, you know, if they get moved over there. So yeah. we'll see what the year comes. Have you, is. have you and Aaron talked about when it'll be appropriate to bring your kiddos with you to Russia, to the orphanage? Yeah. So to, to go with the church, they have to be like at least 14 and 15 is ideal. Um, so it'd be cool if Amelia was able to go in another four years. Yeah. Um, and, you know, she would. Yeah. Cause it, 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 it's, it makes a difference when you have, first of all, for the kids over there to see not just a bunch of, you know, guys show up or not just a bunch of girls to show up, but like married couples show up and then yeah. they see, Oh, that's, that's what a married couple 
looks like. You know, that's yeah. what that that's what it should look like. Yeah, people can get along and there can be an actual healthy union between two people is not something right. they see very much. Right. Yeah. So um, there's been a couple trips where uh, kids went with their parents. Um, and I don't know that if the orphans see that as, oh, that's how parents should treat their kids or, or whatever. Um, cause generally I think if a 15 year old is there with his parents, the parents are at the craft table and he's at the sport court, you know, <laughs> like, yeah, they're, they're doing different things. Yeah. Together. Huh? Okay. Well, is there anything else you want to share about the orphanage, Paul? Like, do you, I know you guys have dreams of going back over there maybe in the next five years as much as you can and then bringing your kids, but are there any opportunities for people listening to, like, be pen pals or, like, do you know of any programs like that that, that people can do from their homes or, or not really? It's, it, you know, it's hard enough to connect with the kids when you're there, <laughs> especially the right. older kids. It's easy well, to connect with the younger kids, but and the, the older kids. the barrier, too, is tough. Yeah. Um, so it would be t- really, I would say, nearly impossible for an outsider to just start communicating with the kids over there. Yeah. Um, but, um, yeah, I mean, you could go to change30.org, and um, if anyone wanted to, donate towards that. I mean that, you know, it's a pretty yeah. small organization, but, um, but yeah, it would be tough to, uh, tough to connect with kids if you haven't actually met them in real life. So, right. Right. Have you done any other mission work you and Aaron, you know, not related to Russia, but back yeah. home in the States, like what have you guys been able to do that would be good for people to try? Um, you know, Aaron went to, uh, Swaziland, which, which is now called Eswatini. Um, that was several years ago, um, and worked with not orphans. Uh, I guess it's the essential, essentially yeah. orphans. It's a yeah. kind of different deal there, but, um, but yeah, otherwise, uh, you know, that Russia has kind of been our main, our main yeah. thing. We haven't, we haven't done a ton here other than, you know, feed my starving children and stuff like sure. that. Sure. So. Yeah. Yeah. Very cool. And like you said, if people are curious about mission work too, they can contact their church and a lot of churches now have really good programs where you can get involved. So that's really cool. Um, Where would you go if you could spend three weeks anywhere right now with your family? Where would you go? (laughs) Hawaii. That is our our go-to place. We, uh, um, you know, Aaron and I, um, we've been married for 16 years now and we struggled um, before we had kids. We were, um, I would say, on the verge of a divorce. And uh, that a lady that we were doing some counseling with said, you know what? We had, we had booked this trip to Hawaii, and then we were talking about canceling it. And she said, just go to Hawaii, and we'll figure it out when you get back. And so we went to Hawaii, and, and, uh, um, and then things just kind of worked (laughs) after that so so it's always kind of been like a magical place for us and yeah um, the last yeah the last trip we took with her parents before her mom passed away um was Kauai. so uh so it's a it's a special place for us yeah it's helpful that it's beautiful (laughs) oh absolutely so what do you do on Kauai? what do you tell people to go do on Kauai? 
In Kauai, I like to go on hikes. Um, but, you know, it's, you know, the, the Waimea Canyon is awesome. You can drive up that. That's like the Grand Canyon of Hawaii. Um, there's a this really cool hike called the Awa Awa Pui Trail, which you, you would have to look up. But um, it's on the Nepali coast, um, at kind of at the end of the uh, Waimea Canyon. And you get out. It's a three-mile hike, three and a half miles maybe. And you get out, and you're at at one of the ridges, like of the Nepali coast. And so it's you know there's a point in the trail where it's the trail's only maybe a foot and a half or two feet wide, and Whoa. it's a 1,500 foot drop on both sides. Whoa! And it's it's pretty incredible. <laughs> yeah, it sounds like it. So um, wow, that is so cool. My cousin worked over in Hawaii for this gal. She she just did this for fun one summer and like farmed for her and stayed at her house. Yeah. And I can't remember what island she was on, but she was talking about a trail that she went up on. And it's like you're literally in the clouds. You you yeah. probably know what I'm talking about. What island is that on? Or um, maybe so, a couple. Uh, in Maui, there's the you can go up to Haleakala, which is um, – uh, that's, you know, I think that's at 10,000 feet, um, the Haleakala crater. Um, you can drive up there. Um, there's another, was, did she say it was a hike? Yes. Yeah. So in Oahu, there's a trail called the Haiku Stairs or the Stairway to Heaven. That's it. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. So that's, that's a trail that's been on my bucket list. The problem with that one is that it's illegal to hike. Oh, um, so to do it, you know, you got to get there at one in the morning and sneak around some guards and go through. Oh, a fence my and, gosh. Wait. So um, why? Because people die up there. It's just dangerous. It's not. Yeah, it's not maintained at all. Um, so they don't want people falling off the stairs. And it is. It's super steep. Um, Dang. But it. Uh, it's yeah. on your bucket list. <laughs> it's on my bucket list. I, uh, but we'll keep that one quiet, too. We don't want you to get yeah. in trouble. That, um, nothing will be posted about that until after I'm done. <laughs> until after you've done it. That's awesome. Well, Paul, even like your drone recordings, like so cool. I feel yeah, like thanks. Jeep or like Mercedes needs to hire you to do drone <laughs> shoots because that is so fun. How did you get into that? Tell me about your videography stuff. Are you just teaching yourself or what? Basically, yeah, I I like doing it. I've always kind of enjoyed doing it. Um you know, started out with just family videos and stuff, and and then so cool. I thought I'd start this YouTube channel to mostly to inspire other crew members to go do stuff on their layovers. Um, and yeah, the more you know, of course, the more you get into it, the more cameras you need, and the more I've got a little you know Loom Cube light now, and <laughs> yeah, you're getting um, all the accessories. Yeah, right. You're um, like, who am I becoming? You need right. like an extra bag just for your cameras. <laughs> Yeah, I do. Yeah, my bags are crazy heavy when I travel. Um, and then the drone has been just a cool way to, you know, spice up some of the footage. And Yeah. Uh, it's it's fun. I, You know, it's fun to fly. It's easy to fly. So. Yeah, very cool. Well, thank you so much for coming on today. It's just really neat to hear about different career paths. And I, I think I'm even on this podcast sort of trying to discover, because I'm a lot like you as far as socialization goes. Like, I love 
hearing people's stories and hearing why they do something and and what about life has been resilient for them because life is hard and it throws curve curveballs at us right but yeah. there's so much opportunity and so it's just really cool to hear about how you're developing your dream and doing the layover life so people can find you on Instagram at my layover life yep. and your and your YouTube channel is called YouTube is also called my layover life so if you just search that it'll uh, it'll pop up Sweet. And like how many videos do you have so far, Paul? On my on the YouTube channel. Um, I'm going into my fourth season and each season had roughly 20 videos. So um, awesome. Yeah, there's probably 70 videos on there. So sweet. Very they, cool. They range from amateur from season one to they're getting better. Professional. <laughs> yeah, you can see the you can see the, um, the arc. Yeah. Yes. Yes. The curve. That's just so cool. Yeah, so thank you. do you, you want to just quick share what people have said that have reached out to you saying like, Hey, I want to be a pilot now, or I'm going to go do this because I saw your videos. Um, yeah, I don't, I, it's fun to see. I, uh, um, I just connected with a guy in Orlando recently who, going to school and and he somehow came across my instagram channel and started contacting me and and uh he's you know on his way to being an airline pilot and um it's fun to fun to hear about that kind of stuff because you know i personally i'm just doing my job well Um, yeah and 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 i love it but 20 years old like you said if your career could take a drink now so it's Probably pretty cool for people to see how you got here and and what passions you have. So, but I, you know, I try to, you know, make time for people who show some interest and, and, uh, you know, just like that guy, Tom, I talked about in the beginning, you know, yeah, he wasn't doing anything extra. He's just letting me live in his life. So, yeah. Yeah. Sharing the dream right along with you. Okay. Last thing. I don't want to forget to ask you this because it popped up in my mind. Um, what, how do the kiddos over in Russia, what do they do? Did you see a lot of kids with disabilities, physical limitations? Um, and, and you know, when you say the statistic about one out of 10 kids really only can live a successful life just with what they've been through. Did you see anything? Do you want to say anything about the disability world over there? Yeah. And it, even um, in your travels, just accessibility in general? Sure. Yeah. I, I would say... Um, the it, what what is sad is that oftentimes if the orphan orphans aren't um, social orphans like where it's a drinking problem or or a whatever um, a lot of them are born with deformities because of the either the, you know their parents were drinking while they were pregnant or whatever um, and that's almost a certain certainty that they're going to end up in an orphanage um which is you know heartbreaking of course. yeah as if um, the abandonment wasn't hard enough to then have the substance abuse right and then have a disability and be left to fend for yourself you know right it's awful um, yeah so it it's uh it's hard to see that stuff um did you it, see people in wheelchairs or using a prosthetic or crutches or what i'm just trying to understand the population i guess a little bit better maybe not really maybe you haven't seen a lot of wheelchair users 
Um, are, you, are you talking about like in Russia or just like in travels in general? Yeah, in general and in Russia, I guess both. <laughs> I, you know, one thing about my podcast, Paul, is like I want to connect with the disability world and I'm still trying to figure out and pray about what that looks like. But yeah, I just know accessibility worldwide is such an issue. I mean, even with I'm kind of jumping ship here, but me as a social worker and knowing about demographics and how people discriminate, right? And yeah. and how people see division. I know that accessibility and disability is another huge issue, a huge realm. Right. And so I'm just trying to get my feelers out about that, I guess, yeah. but I know I'm jumping around. No, no, that's good. Um I don't I didn't I, I never saw any kids in the orphanage like in wheelchairs or usually it's you know, their hands are deformed or um Yeah. Or, you know, one of my little buddies has the, I forget what it's called, but their chest is kind of um, like pigeon, pigeon type chest or whatever. Yeah. I, I don't know what that's called, but um, so you see that um, as far as like elsewhere in Europe, as far as accessibility goes, I, I would imagine it would be sometimes difficult to get around, yeah. especially when you're talking cobblestone streets and. Yeah. And, you know, Europe wasn't really built for a wheelchair or a wheelchair. No. Um, <laughs> and uh, I, yeah, I, I would be curious how people get around there. You know, yeah. there's more Ubers probably involved. And um, right. I, it's like, yeah, if I ever go overseas again, I'm going to I'm well, not if I am because I want to go. But yeah, I know it's like I got to get one of those attachments that go on the front of my chair that could just pull me right through all that cobblestone because. Right. You're right. The stairs and stuff would be difficult. I even think visiting Africa would be so cool, but it's like I would have to hire some buff guy to carry me around in a baby <laughs> pack. Right. Yeah. <laughs> or like rent a llama, you know? <laughs> yeah. But don't let that stop you because it. No, uh, you're right. People do it, and uh, and there's where there's a will, there's a way, you know. That's like, exactly <laughs> what I was just gonna that's, say. That's very cliche to say, but it is. Um, but you're you're not wrong. People are willing to help if if you have the gusto to ask for it. So yeah, that's right. Yeah, very cool. Well, thank you so much for coming on. Is there yeah, anything this has been else? Great. Yeah, is there anything else you want to share that we didn't cover? Anything on your heart or mind? Well, you know, I was just gonna tell you. Um, I remember talking to your dad, and he was telling me about um everything that happened with you. We were at Germstead Hardware, like there, it was their. Of course, you were. It was their uh, closing, you know, party or whatever. Um, and your dad was telling me about you, and and you know, we, you and I didn't know each other super well in high school or anything, but um, I remember weeping and and Germstead Hardware thinking about you and and the decision that you had to make, and and uh, that's uh, I don't know. There's not many people that have to make those kind of decisions and yeah you're uh, you are the definition of brave and courageous so well thank you uh, paul that means a lot to hear and you know it's like i thank god for my faith and my trust in knowing that there's still a lot of opportunity for me even though you know i'm cut off at the legs so to say you know it's like right. it but it was it was hard and and i think I think a lot of people would have made that decision. You know, I think it would have been really different if I was 80 years old and I had a spinal tumor. I might have said, you know what, we're going to just live out my days and it's okay. I'll I'll be in a chair, but I don't want the surgery. But knowing that I was 
just turning 25 and then making that decision. No, it wasn't easy. But I thank God for where I am today. And I just hope this podcast inspires people. And yeah, I know something bigger is brewing, but I don't know what yet. So thank you for sharing your passions and your drive, too, because I think people will be encouraged by it. It's just really cool. So, well, I'm encouraged by you. So thank you. Well, (laughs) that that goes both ways. And I can't wait to get up in the sky with you. That would be just so cool. Yeah. Let me know when you're in Minnesota. We'll, uh, We'll make it happen. All right, Paul. Thank you so much for coming on. And then, yeah, of course. Last thing I just wanted to say, if you don't mind sending me some pictures of what we talked about, if you have any photos of the orphanage or your shark escapades, um, any of your trails you've been on, just send me a whole bunch because I can put that right on your webpage and give you some plugs for your YouTube channel. Yeah, of course. I'd be happy to do that. All right. Thank you so much. God bless you. Safe travels and good luck with your video. Yeah. Great to see you. You too. Bye, Paul. Take care. This has been Push Diaries Podcast. Please visit our website at pushdiariespodcast.com to see our mission and learn more about the guests. This is your podcast too. I want to hear your stories. Email me at pushdiariespodcast at gmail.com and consider supporting the show by going to patreon.com forward slash pushdiariespodcast. Thank you for listening. If you are a sponsor or would like to run a commercial and think that my message and my podcast would be beneficial for your business, please consider contacting me. I would be honored to work with you. We have the ability to put commercials into these episodes. Thank you for your consideration. Take care.